It's Friday the 13th of May. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines. 50% chance that global temperatures will hit 1.5 degree increase in the next five years. And a Guardian investigation reveals some carbon bombs. Also coming up, we chat to Daniel Murray of the Sunday Business Post about Ireland's plans for emergency electricity generation. And Kayleigh Crossan is back with the next instalment of our culture feature. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. As always, we start with our news roundup and I'm delighted after a week's absence to be rejoined by Kira Daly and Anna Pringle. Anna, how are you keeping? I am keeping well, Dara, thank you. Good, good, good. And Kira, how are you? I'm good as well as can be when I'm in your company, Dara. <laughs> We're always the highlight of your week, Kira. I admit it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how we're doing after this news roundup. It's a pretty, pretty heavy week today, I think. Um, our first story is a report from the WMO, the World Meteorological Association, that says there's now a 50-50 chance that the average global temperature is going to reach 1.5 degrees in at least one of the next five years. So who are the WMO, if you don't mind me asking? So the WMO are a special agency of the UN and they're the authoritative voice on the state and behaviour of the Earth's atmosphere and climate, um, basically. So they know what they're talking about. Yeah, and they're represented by 193 member states of the UN. Okay. So they're an official official meteorological organization. Okay. And so these levels that they're looking at, why first of all, what are the pre-industrial levels? And why are we measuring our levels now against that? Yeah, that's a good question because you hear that term pre-industrial levels uh a lot in relation to climate change. And basically pre-industrial is before the industrial revolution, before we started burning fossil fuels and pumping all the CO2 into the atmosphere. So that was when the climate was stable before before man-made emissions started affecting the climate. And it's important that also the 1.5 degrees is an average. So in some places it will be higher than that. In some places it'll be lower, but that's a global average temperature increase. Okay. And is this the first time we're getting this warning from the WMO? So they release they release an annual to decadal climate update every year. Um, so five years ago, they said there was no there was almost no chance that in the coming five years that we would go above one point five degrees. Last year, they said there was a forty percent chance uh, wow. in the next five years, and now this year it's a fifty percent chance. So um, we can see that trend. We can see things going in in the wrong direction there. Yeah. And I suppose then an important question to ask is what exactly do these do these temperature increases mean for the environment and us as a society? Okay, so so what but so just to come back to that, so what they have said is there's a fifty fifty chance of the annual average global temperature temporarily reaching one point five degrees centigrade above the pre industrial level for at least one of the next five years. So there's a lot of caveats in that. Yeah, so there is loads to unpack there. So there and it's important to distinguish the difference between weather and climate there. That the climate is takes an average of the of 30 years of temperature. What okay. this report is saying is that one of the next 
there's a 50% chance that one of the next five years is going to hit that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it temporarily hits 1.5 degrees for one year and comes back down, that's weather, as Dara says. If it hits 1.5 degrees for five years in a row consistently and doesn't come back down, that becomes climate. Okay. Exactly. That's, that's a really good explanation. So in terms of what the impacts are going to be, Kira. Obviously, we're already seeing the impacts. We talked about the heat yeah. waves in India and Pakistan. And as the, if the temperature hits 1.5 degrees for one of the next five years, we can expect even more extremes. We can expect... Um, Drought, heat waves, extreme storms, sea level rise. Uh, I mean, so the, the IPCC had a report that came out a couple of years ago that detailed out what what's likely to happen with a 1.5 degree change in climate not weather yeah and it increases the likelihood of all sorts of bad things like extreme storms sea level rise heat obviously drought food security all of those issues are potentially made worse even at 1.5 degrees above the pre-industrial level okay so we Moral of the story is we need to start taking action to try and Abs- yeah. stop this. Absolutely, and and we can see we can see that things are are going in the wrong direction and going probably in the wrong direction at a faster rate than than people expected even a few years ago. Yeah, lovely. You guys are always the bearers of great news. <laughs> yeah, and I'm afraid that our second news story isn't going to get any better because. Based on a report in The Guardian by Damien Carrington and Matthew Taylor, we are going to blow past our targets of 1.5 degrees and even 2 degrees of warming because of carbon bombs uh, planned by the oil industry. Right, this all sounds very dramatic indeed. What is a carbon bomb? (laughs) A carbon bomb is a project that an oil or gas project that is capable of pumping at least 1 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions over the lifetime of the project. So it's called a carbon bomb because the effect is basically as dramatic as a bomb. Wow, okay. So what do these projects actually, what do they involve? Well, I mean, one of the things to think about is the Paris Agreement, which is trying to limit us all to 1.5 degrees and all of the you know, governments and Big corporates have committed to taking action on that. But we've known for a long time that the fossil fuel companies have basically been lying to us. There's lots of evidence that they've been manipulating politics. They've been manipulating the media. They've been lying about their activities. They've, they've known for 40 years the damage that they're doing to the planet. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, while they're talking a good game about being greener, they're investing 103 million dollars a day the dozen biggest oil companies are spending that much a day for the rest of this decade to exploit new fields of oil and gas that if we wanted to keep global heating under two degrees we shouldn't be burning those yeah so despite all of these warnings they're just carrying on they're carrying on doing what they do that's what they exist to do and that is what they're doing yeah. So the Guardian said there's at least 195 of these projects, 195 projects oh. that will pump at least 1 billion tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. And what that means is if all these projects go ahead, they would burn through 
the entire remaining carbon budget. Uh, so all the emissions that we have left to use to keep us below 1.5 or 2 degrees of warmings will be gone just, just from these projects. Uh, and the, the, you know, they're longer term infrastructure <coughs> projects, but it's still in total, that would be the equivalent of about 18 years of current emissions, just those projects. Yeah. So, and we don't have 18 years of current emissions left. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that you, we've seen in the last few weeks, BP and Shell and ExxonMobil, they've been releasing their earnings. They have had massive profits. Like I think BP had $6 billion in profits for the first quarter of this year. And in the like they've so they've earned but just the top four oil companies have made about two trillion dollars in profits Christ. in the past thirty years, and yeah, so the, you know th- this is why they're doing it. They're looking, they are delivering profits to their shareholders, and they're making their shareholders and executives rich. And where are these companies based? So the biggest the biggest spending plans going forward, the top one is is Saudi Aramco, then Gazprom, which are Russian, then PetroChina, which are Chinese, then ExxonMobil, Shell, and it goes down. Um, but in terms of which countries have the most planned projects, actually... The U.S. is the leading source of potential emissions. They have 22 wow. carbon bombs planned. So, I mean, I'm afraid to ask it, but what are governments doing to stop them? <laughs> well, we've all signed up to the, car- to the Paris Agreement, which has committed everybody to limiting uh, global warming to 1.5 degrees. Okay. <laughs> Point yeah. taken. And, uh, and that's, yeah. Uh, and they're, yeah, they're clearly, clearly not doing enough. They're also governments are also subsidizing. So one of the things that I mean, think again, go back to the US, Canada, and Australia. They are also the countries that are, that give the biggest subsidies to fossil fuel companies. So not so only are we letting them do this, we're also giving them lots of government subsidies to do well. it as well. If these okay, so if these companies, from a financial point of view, let's forget the environment. If these resources i read something that they can't even be used if we're going to be um meeting our climate targets why are they continuing with these projects does it not make sense for them to stop yeah but it's not even yeah they don't they don't care about the climate they know that we're going to miss these targets they just don't care about that it's just literally making money over that over over protecting the climate and i think you know maybe is there a level of ignorance on their part on how no bad there's not get? i really no, I'm don't sorry. know no there's not um, the big oil companies have the best scientists some of the best scientists in the world their scientists were telling them in the early 1970s how bad things were going to get they know they are criminal they know exactly what they are doing but they are operating in a market based economy where they have to report earnings to the market every quarter and their share price price gets rewarded by earnings and by future earnings. They know exactly what they're doing and the big banks are willing to lend to them. You see BlackRock Investment Company just came out this week and said we don't support um, shareholders trying to stop them from doing this. It's They are completely... They know what they're doing. They're choosing to do it. There's no excuse anymore. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Point taken. Um, and Kira, to come back to that point about you saying uh, something that you'd heard or read, it, it's a great report. It's well compiled, but there's nothing overly surprising there. It's just very well presented. Uh, I think what you were thinking about was something we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast in our IC- IPCC explainer about stranded assets that the IPCC said that if we were to meet our target of two degrees, 30% of oil, 50% of gas and 80% of coal reserves need to stay in the ground. So we are at this point where governments need to decide, okay, are we going to take these climate targets seriously and intervene with the operations of these oil and gas companies? Or are we not going to take them seriously and just let them carry on? You can't have it both ways. Uh, that is where we are. That is what the science is clearly saying, is that if we are to hit these targets, and two degrees is still disastrous, if we were to hit these, this target of two degrees, these companies need to completely change their plans. And are governments going to make them do that or not? That's the question. This is such a huge kind of story and for me I read it and I was like there was like three kind of things that went through my head a I was like what the hell (laughs) b I was like god this is such a scandal like the person in me who loves like a bit of gossip bit of bit of uh what's the word like I love reality tv I was like god this is a storyline I've been missing out on and then the other part of me (laughs) but then the other part of me was like it was just that silent feeling of like, what the hell? Like, it, it, and that was twofold. It was like, what the hell am I going to do about it? And then also, is this real? Is this real life? Like, this sounds really serious, but I'm not like hearing people freaking out about it. And I just wanted to know, like only that I came to you and was like, wow, this seems like a really big deal. And you guys were like, yes. That I had that confirmation of, yes, this is actually really bloody serious. But like, this is something that you guys have been putting up, like kind of dealing with for a long time. How do you process that emotion? Because it is a really, really heavy story. It's essentially like the end of the world being predicted. And like, you can't go, what are we going to do? Like close down all the petrol stations in the world? Not feasible. I think those kind of thoughts and feelings you're having, Kira, we, everyone involved in the climate movement has had that at some stage in their journey and especially that thing of expecting people to react in the same way you're going to react expecting people to say wow this is terrible we need to do something and looking around and seeing other people not doing anything and that's why it's easy for you just to not do anything because you're like ah well if it was that bad sure the government would be doing something it would be on the news you know, and you can kind of lull yourself into that kind of sense of normalcy. So what you can do is you can (laughs) be the one for people to look at and say, yeah, no, this is this is terrible. We need to do something and try and shift that norm. Hope we can all push it, push the discourse that way that everyone realizes that it is that bad and that we do need stuff to change. Um, if you're not ready to start chaining yourself to uh, <laughs> to oil tankers and stuff. <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting one because I, Friends of the Earth had a webinar this week called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And this guy, this Swedish, I think he's Swedish, Andreas Mam wrote this book and he's saying it's about time we started. Basically, he's saying stop we're being too polite 
and we need to start shutting down petrol stations. What Just Stop Oil have been doing in the UK, we need to start, you know, blocking trucks coming out of refineries and things like that, um, which is a really interesting point to consider. And, you know, there was a lot of sympathy for his point of view. And he, his point was that any successful social movement has always had an extreme wing where people yeah. have been willing to put their lives on the line and take extreme action, you know, so maybe the time is right for that. You know, the other thing is I read somewhere recently <coughs> that um, if you think about all those top 10 emitters, maybe there's 500 people in executive positions in those yeah. organizations. They are making these decisions that are going to, that are destroying the planet. So there has to be ways to at least put some pressure on them or publicly call them out. So one example is uh, the, I don't know if people, a lot of people know this, but the CEO of BP Worldwide is Bernard Looney, who is from North Kerry. And he loves to talk about his Irish mother and her wisdom and all this sort of stuff. And he, he makes a big um, pitch for how BP is now going green and is net zero and whatever. While meanwhile, they're also investing in all of these carbon bombs. So... If you're listening from North Kerry and you happen to know Bernard Looney or his family, please ask them what Bernard is doing to help save the planet. I think that's a fair question to ask when he's the CEO of BP. And I think we, or go on to Instagram, you'll find him on Instagram with lots of green pictures and lots of greenwashing and comment there and maybe ask him what he's, why he's doing this with the carbon bombs. Ask him what his Irish mother would think of that. Um, yeah, and I think is that so? That's something that we will do uh, via the climate alarm clock, and we will be helping listeners to do the same. Yeah, you can be polite. I really like that <laughs> point, oh, yeah, Anna, yeah, because it's that thing. I'm in this zone where I'm getting really angry about things, but I'm not ready to go out and <laughs> glue myself to tankers and stuff like that. But I have like a guilt and a bit of a shame that when I think like. Oh my God, like all of these last few years where you've kind of, when people have said things to me, I've been like, oh, but you can't, like, you can't just change. And now I'm like, well, you bloody have to. So, I mean, yeah, the question is going to be, do we choose to change or do we have to react and adapt to to the changes that are going to be forced on us? And all of these people are people. I mean, you know, people in businesses are making decisions every day. If we can somehow influence them to make different decisions that has a much more impact than you or I deciding to drive less. Yeah. Speaking of driving, Irish people have very bad road rage. So maybe a point we could take is when you're in a road rage fit, instead of screaming at the other driver, take out your phone. Yes, break the law and text the guy from BP and be like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you making us sit in this traffic? Let's put that road rage energy into oil rage and let's let's make Ireland green again. Yes, cure for president. That's great. That's gonna be, that could be a slogan there, right there, Kira. Well done. <laughs> okay, should we move on, guys? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, we're moving on to our not climate story, and I think we're going to maintain the rage here. Anna, what what yeah, are we looking so at? Yeah, so sorry, I'm on a I'm week? on a very ragey ranty mood this week um so i think the not climate story and one of the stories of our time is the roe versus wade decision that's pending in the u.s 
Um, so for those who don't know, Roe v. Wade is a landmark case from the US in 1973 that allowed for abortion to be legal in the US, in the States in the US. It's been controversial for decades, mainly stoked by the Republican Party. Now that they have a majority of justices on the Supreme Court, there was a leak a couple of weeks ago saying that the Supreme Court is about to overturn Roe v. Wade. And they leaked the decision. Um, Somebody in the court leaked the decision that is overturning Roe v. Wade. This is a fundamental rollback of women's rights in the US. And it's been coming, it's been coming through Trump, it's been coming through the Republicans, but just seeing it in black and white has really, I think, been, you talk about carbon bombs, I think this has been a bomb for people as well to see that in black and white. And in all likelihood, you will have less than half of the states in the US where women can legally get abortions after this judgment. So Anna, the link that I'm missing, I guess, I accept that it's there, but I haven't found it yet and I want you to point me in the direction is of how this has anything to do with the climate. So for me, what, what how it has something to do with climate is this. These are the same people that are making this happen, that are attacking women's rights, are also the same parties and people that are being funded by fossil fuel interests, that are climate change deniers, that are refusing to take any action on climate change, particularly in the US. Mm-hmm. But the US is so influential around the world that we can't take it for granted that it wouldn't happen here. Yeah, And it's part of the trend towards fascism and authoritarianism that we're seeing. We, we've seen it in Brazil. We see it in Hungary. The US is heading down that route. And I just, yeah. for me, it's like, it is such a fine line between human rights existing or not yeah and I just think there's the link to climate justice and to justice generally is massive and then the other part of it I think that links back to climate change is the role of the media so the media as we know have not covered themselves in glory covering climate change and the vast majority of the media in the U.S. when this came out, they focused on the leak. Instead of focusing on what it said, they said, oh, this is a threat to democracy that they're leaking stuff from the U.S. Supreme Court. And no, it's a threat to democracy that we're rowing back women's rights. And by the way, it's not democratic because the vast majority, well, not the vast majority, but something like almost 70 percent of people in the U.S. believe that abortion should be free, safe and legal or Absolutely. should be legal anyway. Um, you know, so it's not democratic it's authoritarianism. If you've watched The Handmaid's Tale, it's not that far off where these guys want to take things. It's about controlling women's bodies. It's about controlling poor people. It's about exploiting poor people. It's, it's all linked to me to climate justice and it's the same people doing it. It's a really overwhelming story and I really don't actually have a lot to say on it but it's not because I don't have an opinion on it I think I just feel really trodden down by it because it's very easy to see that coming I had a sense of why it was a climate story but listening to you that connection has upset me even further sorry (laughs) but it's good it's really important to be aware of it like it really is important yeah 
and and I think I think being able and I think that's why we do the not climate story is to be able to see these connections, you know, being able to see this trajectory, being able to see those links between these carbon bombs yeah. and these other civil rights issues, because that's how we are going to take meaningful climate action is by joining all those dots and because tackling, the, the same people the that are issues. making those decisions to develop those carbon bombs are the same people whose companies are paying big, big money to the Republicans yeah. in the US who are restricting women's rights. And, you know, so it is all connected. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons this is hitting me really hard, Anna, is because I'm so angry over the news about around the maternity hospital. I just, I watched like the leader's questions. Look, that's not anything I'd ever do last ever. But last night I watched them and I was like, this is ridiculous. The storyline behind what is happening. And I just thought that's so the same as what's happening in the US, but in a different, you know, it's just a different way that it's happening. But it's essentially just men controlling us. Exactly. And, and that's why we have to guard against that. And I think I think the government has underestimated how people feel about the National Maternity Hospital, actually, and not wanting any church involvement in it whatsoever. Because, you know, what happens if at some point in the future they decide that certain procedures aren't legal or aren't yeah. going to be happening? Yeah, you know, we've been there. We've fought for this. And I think it's you can't let things be eroded. Yeah, that we've already fought for. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of like, we obviously can't, we don't have any influence over what happens in the US with that, with that um, decision. But here in Ireland, we can definitely do something. So what would you like, because we're kind of ending this episode on a bit of a deflated note. And I, I always need to have like some sort of action I can take to make myself feel better. So apart from putting on a face mask and putting on a nice pair of fluffy socks this evening, what else can I do to take action on that? Well, I mean, as you have been doing, call your TDs. Call, And I saw somewhere recently someone said advice for getting attention from TDs. Number one, call them. Number okay. two, write a personal email to them. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I think number one was call into their office if you can. And they all have offices locally. Um, but to call them and tell them that you don't accept what the government is proposing for the NMH and that you don't accept Catholic Church involvement in it. It always comes down to a difficult, a difficult conversation, doesn't it? But I yeah, suppose but, you, but it's, it's yeah. but is it more mm. difficult to do that than it is to fume and and you know repress your anger? Yeah, no, you're certainly definitely right, and I agree and accept your. Cool. Advice. So we have a plan. Yeah, look out, TDs. Kira Daly's on the rampage. <laughs> and also, there's also Bernard Looney's Instagram that you can comment on as well. Oh, he'll be getting it too. Don't worry. Hiya, Bernard. <laughs> um that is it for the news roundup anna and kira thank you so much and uh delighted to say that it's going to be a women's takeover next week i'm not going to be here next week so you're you're taking the reins that's a coincidence it's not based on the conversation we just had <laughs> <laughs> still to come on this week's episode we're hearing from daniel murray about the government's emergency gas generation plans and Kaylee Crossan is back with the culture feature. But coming up next, it's the Irish Enviro event guide. And there are loads of amazing events that you can get involved with this week to experience community and climate action. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> 